0: Uh, turn uh, to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3, where we still are, and I suspect will be for one more sermon. Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What uh, we have been spending our time looking at in uh, the last several weeks is the non-theistic gods. Uh, We looked at things like atheism and polytheism and syncretism and and other such theistic false gods. And now we're looking at the idols of sensuality and the the state or government, society, sports or fun, uh, superstition, sorcery, science, stuff, all the S's coming together beautifully uh, in a transliterated uh, sermon. Um, in other words, anything that we place before God, anything that is more important than God, anything that is a priority over God, anything that occupies our thoughts, consumes our wealth, devote, uh, to which we devote our time and energy, uh, to which we give priority, service and obedience over God is an idol. So we want to go on then looking at uh, these non-theistic or pseudo-theisms with the ninth of these, which is uh, self, and that's going to occupy our full attention this evening. The self as a false god. We believe in the importance of the individual, the importance of the self, uh, the dignity of the individual the importance of the development and care of the self, the person, uh, the individual. We think this is uh, crucial, and yet there is a sense in which the the worship of self, the deification of self, is the idol behind all idolatry, the worship of the self, autotheism, uh, we could call it. Uh, Second Timothy 3, 2 through 4, the the apostle Paul there uh, condemns not only the love of money and Uh, the love of pleasure, but says in those latter days, uh, there will be those who will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Why do I eat and drink and spend and play and work? Um, Why is that the thing above all else that I seek? Well, insofar as I do, uh, insofar as those things are my ultimate concern, they are a false god for us. So, I want us to get kind of a big picture of how it is that the self has been deified in our day. I think what I really want to do is to try try to help us understand the world in which we are living. So let's talk about uh, somewhat recent history over the last number of decades. Uh, The baby boomers were known as the me generation. And as they grew up, it seems that the world became with them more and more self-centered. By 1979, Christopher Lash was writing uh, 400 plus pages in, in a book entitled "The Culture of Narcissism." Uh, what's narcissism? Well, it's it's a uh, name for the theological. It's a word that comes from the the mythological rather figure uh, Narcissus, uh, who was a beautiful child of the river gods and. Uh, he um, was unable to find anyone uh, to love who was sufficient for, as, a, as the object of his love until one day he looked down into a pool of water and saw his own reflection, and he fell in love with his reflection. And so the, for the rest of his life, he stayed in that position, looking at his own reflection in love with himself. So as Christopher Lash was saying about... Uh, the boomer generation and what was developing culture-wide was was narcissism. We're in love with ourselves. We're preoccupied with ourselves. Uh, About the same time, Christians then, uh, I think, uh, uh, regrettably, began to pick up on the theme. The church always, it seems, on the coattails of the world and begin to write books about self-love and self-image and self-esteem and self-worth. Then in the 2000s, self-care, that became another theme. Uh, all of these treating the subject as if um, the problem was we don't pay sufficient attention to ourselves, as though that were some sort of a breakdown of the way that things ought to be. Whereas a preoccupation with the self is is seen biblically uh, not as a virtue to cultivate, but as a vice to flee. The problem is we love ourselves way too much. And, and so that's why, I, that's why I feed myself and bathe myself and groom myself and pamper myself and care for myself and look out for myself virtually to the expense of every other human being on earth. That's generally the case uh, for all of us. Uh, but uh, we got swept along in the whole me culture, the self-centered culture. Um, of the 60s 70s into the '80s and into the 20, 21st century what 's happened more recently is really unprecedented, as the self has become in, um, entirely internalized so up to up to this point, meaning maybe a decade ago, up to this point, really the problem was was um, a preoccupation with self uh, so The self being understood, though, as me, as in myself. What I do, I do myself, meaning the me. The me is the whole person. Uh, Me is the complete person of body and soul. Well, what what began to happen just about a decade or so ago, maybe 15 years ago, was uh, a body-soul duality, dualism, began to take root in the civilization and spread Uh, to where there is this entire severance of the person that I am with the world that is around me, so that the self is entirely, completely internalized and that this wall goes up between uh, who I am myself and my body and everything that is external to me. So Carl Truman has has traced the philosophical roots of this in his uh, book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern uh, Self. There's a philosophical trajectory that goes back to Rousseau and then the Romantic poets and writers and Sigmund Freud. So that where we are today is the answer to the question "Who am I?" is in, in, entirely internalized. It's this internal sense of who I am that determines what I understand myself to be. There's been something of what you might call a self-revolution. Uh, to, the, to where the self must be entirely uh, unencumbered and un, unconstrained, so that who I am is who I conceive my be to myself to be, without any in, uh, external input whatsoever, not even from my own body. So that uh, that means the self is authoritative. Now, let, let's go back to the past a, a bit. As far as my identity, who, who I understand myself to be, uh, well, there would be a number of factors that would go into it, including the family that I was born into, um, the community to which I belong, the nation to which I belong, the church to which I belong, the schools that I attend. All of these would have shaped my identity and the obligations and duties that go along with that and the conduct and responsibilities that I bear. So that uh, take the family as as the example. I'm born into a family. Uh, That means I have responsibility as a child to my parents. I have responsibilities and duties. That helps define who I am. I'm a child in relation to my parents. I'm a brother in in relation to my sister. That defines some of my obligations. It it shapes my behavior um, in connection with my siblings. I I marry. That uh, helps define who I am. And again, my responsibilities, my duties, my obligations are are now defined, not just with some kind of an internal sense of who I am, cut off from all those relationships and all those connections. No, now I have some obligations and duties in relation to my wife. I have obligations and duties and responsibilities that shape my behavior in connection with my children so that my identity is, 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 is being formed by all these connections with wor- the, the world around me. And then there are, um, there are rules. Um, there are laws. I'm a Christian. So that then shapes some responsibilities too and some obligations. Because I'm a, I'm a disciple of Christ, um, there are rules that apply to me. There are duties that uh, I have as such. So this, this is the way people have uh, formed uh, the concept of self all through the centuries. It's all defined in terms of these um, external duties and responsibilities as, as a result of all the relationships and uh, my, from my relationship to God, to my relationship within the family, to my relationship within the nation and within the community. Uh, n- never have people thought of themselves apart from all of these connections, but today the self is auto-namas. N- namas being law, auto-self. I am my own law, and there could be no constraints, no outside rules, no norms, no customs, traditions, or laws. Nothing outside of me is to limit me or to restrict me. I am who I feel myself to be, unrestricted by the family or by the church. Or by the law, and who I feel myself to be is beyond challenge. And then, closely connected with this is the self as as authentic, authenticity. So we we, we believe in authenticity. We we think that we should be uh, publicly who we truly are. We 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 don't like frauds. So, uh, uh, we see that as a vice. We think that we shouldn't be fake. We shouldn't be phony. We should be real. We should be true uh, to who we actually are. Uh, Charles Taylor wrote uh, A Secular Age in 2007 who argues that, however, we have developed a culture of authenticity. Uh, wh- what does is, what is, what is he mean by that? Well, be, to be authentic, I must be true to who I conceive myself internally to be. And to be anything other than true to this internal sense of self, again, the self, however, cut off from all external obligations and rules and traditions and customs and so forth, and to fail to be true to that is to be a fake, is to be phony, is to be inauthentic, is bending to the wishes and desires of others and to be untrue to oneself. Self has become a religion. Self has become a deity. There's a deification of self that we have seen uh, that has accelerated in in just a matter of recent years and has redefined all of the classical theological terminology. For example, who is God in this religion of self? Well, the self is. Uh, I am my own law. I am my own God. And nobody tells me who I am. and therefore what I am. Nothing out, no voice out, outside of me is to be heard or, or is to be heeded. So uh, uh, virtue then is to be true to yourself. In, in modern parlance, you be you. Isn't that the cultural message? You be you. It doesn't matter what other people are thinking. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. You need to be authentic. That means you be yourself without regard to any of these obligations imposed by family and the culture and the church and traditions and customs. You just, you, just, you just push all of that aside, and you just do what you want to be, and you be what you think you are. A sin is the, the opposite of that, listening to those outside voices and allowing them to bend to your Uh, to their wishes. See, this is why in our civilization we have valorized homosexuality and transgenderism. Why? Because they are the people being true to that inner voice, to who they conceive themselves to be, in a way that is uh, heroic because it's over against all of those external voices, even their own bodies and transgenderism. You're not even listening to the voice of your own body that's being rejected in terms in favor of the internal sense of self. Not even the body is allowed to speak to identity, um, and uh, and and so uh, this um, this virtue of being true to yourself is taken to its extreme uh, with homosexuality, transgenderism. Physiology doesn't mean anything. Um, a biology doesn't mean anything. The voices of science don't even mean anything. They're just utterly utter, utterly ignored. Uh, no, you just, you just listen to yourself. You just do what you want to do. And so the transgender and, and the homo- homosexuality, they are valorized. They are heroic because over against all of the customs and traditions and the voice of the church and the voice of the family, they are being true to this theology of self, this anthropology of self that has the self internal and isolated and apart from all other input in a way that is radical, in a way that is uh, extreme, um, but is being true to oneself. And so they are like the point of the spear in the war against all those who would impose some kind of external conformity. Uh, they are they are the the voice of freedom to to be what you want to be who you conceive of yourself to be uh, your your internal voice what's sin sin is the opposite it 's listening to those outside voices what is salvation it 's breaking away from all of those outside voices in order to follow your inner identity. What is evil? The Evil is the, the individuals in society which won't accept and affirm and support and celebrate your true identity as you conceive it to be. In every every lie, there's an element of truth. So, of course, yes, we agree. You should be genuine. You shouldn't be false. You shouldn't be a phony. But when the the, 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 the sense of self is... Is, uh, is utterly severed uh, from all other voices and is unimpeachable, is uh, carrying final authority, then you have made of self a god. And the result of all this is an unstable world. If identity, who I am, is all up to me, It's all up to my inner sense of things, who I believe myself to be. That puts tremendous pressure on the individual. Nothing outside of me can help inform me, and that means nothing outside of me is stable, nothing is certain, nothing is reliable, nothing is solid, nothing, nothing is given. There isn't anything to inform me when I try to for my own identity or direction in life or choices that I'm going to make. Not parents, not church, not society, not custom. All my answers must come from within. Am I, in terms of sexual identity, am I heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual? In terms of gender identity, am I I a man or am I a woman or am I some other um, non-conforming other possibility, um, something outside of the binary? Um, No previous generation has ever had to face these questions. Do you you understand how unique and peculiar and bizarre the present moment is? And the young people are not coping with it. So we've created a world in the last say 15 years that we're bringing our young people up in and, and there's nothing stable for them. There's nothing permanent for them. There's nothing reliable for them. There's nothing solid for them. There are no givens at all. And so what we're seeing, even just coming out this week, is, is very, very alarming percentages of our young people, our teenagers, our, our, um, degree high, uh, suffer high degrees of sadness, hopelessness, depression, despair, high rates of suicide, attempted suicide, thoughts about suicide. We're facing uh, what the professionals are calling a mental health crisis among our youth. And it's especially true amongst the LGBTQ youth. Uh, That's a result of what was supposed to be a liberating world, which everything is accepted and everything is normalized. And and instead, the opposite is proving to be the the result. It is destroying their lives. And yet we are doubling down as a society on this normalization. And that leads me to my next thought that we're seeing the evidence of all around us, and that is that, the, that idolaters are consumed by their idols. So go back to the ancient world. It's a little more obvious there. Uh, the ancient world, they practiced human sacrifice. They practiced infant sacrifice. Uh, the idols consume the idolaters. Uh, in, in our day, are we seeing something like that as well? Yeah, yeah we do. Well, think in terms of addicts. Uh, They make an idol out of food, or they make an idol out of drugs, or they make an idol out of sex, or they make an idol out of uh, alcohol. Uh, You go down the list, what you make an idol out of, what does it do? It destroys you. It consumes you. And I think that that's exactly what we're seeing in terms of this idol of, of self. The self in isolation cannot provide sufficient incentive for life. You cannot find within yourself adequate motives for for living, for purpose, for meaning. And so this idolatry of the self is resulting in despair and despondency. Our older generation looks around those who came of age in the 1950s and into the mid-1960s and they, they, don't, they don't recognize the world that we're living in right now. Uh, they, 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 they grew up in a world in which there were solid marriages, very little divorce. I don't mean just amongst the Christian, I mean everyone. Very rare divorce um, uh, rates in, in in the 1950s and into the mid-1960s. Uh, people were, were going to church, very high rates of, of, of church going, very, very solid institutional. Unity. You know the the public schools and the churches and uh, uh, the libraries. I guarantee you, they weren't they weren't doing um, drag queen story hour. No, no. The 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 library was an asset to to families. They were reinforcing the message of the family, or at least not fighting with, at least not contradicting. In other words, you look around, and all the institutions of society, we're all speaking with one voice. And so the older generation looks around and they just shake their heads and they throw up their hands and they say, what in the world has happened? And I think the problem is that that 1950s, 1960s generation fails to recognize that it was in that period that the foundation for the present was laid because the values of the 1950s were values from nowhere. All my father's generation wanted was uh, uh, a normal life. They just wanted to come home from the war. They'd been through the Depression. They'd come home from the war. All they wanted was normal. They wanted to have a nice little suburban home, 1,300 square feet. That's fine. One bathroom for the family, that's fine. It was such an improvement over what they came out of in the Depression and what they saw overseas in Europe. They wanted normal names. All of the girls in my elementary school were named Susan and Debbie and Mary. And the boys were all Bobby and Billy and Johnny. They all were. We didn't have any of these other, we didn't even have our grandmother's names. Everything was to be normal in the 1950s and 1960s. However, the foundations, I'm saying, were were laid then. When was Playboy first published? 1953. Uh, when did Marilyn Monroe become a cultural icon? The 1950s. Uh, when did Ken Kenzie uh, publish his studies and Masters and Johnson their studies? Late 1940s? 1950s. Uh, which uh, overcame long standing cultural taboos and began the process of normalizing uh, perversion. The post-war generation that wanted normal was thrilled to hear Frank Sinatra sing, I did it my way, my way. OK? Sinatra grew to hate that song. Did you know that? I did it my way, not God's way, just my way, not, what, not my family's way, not my country's way, not my community's way, not my church's way. No, I did it my way. That's what we were valorizing in the 1960s, into the late 50s and into the 1960s. Uh, the one who does things his way and doesn't, isn't, isn't, in, isn't uh, influenced by those outside voices, stand, willing to stand alone. How about uh, Sammy Davis Jr.? Sammy Davis Jr., I've got to be me. He says, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, I've got to be me. In other words, right or wrong, morals aside, no, I'm the final arbiter of what's right and wrong. I'm, I'm just going to be me. doesn't matter if it's right. It doesn't matter if it's wrong. As long as I'm true to myself, I'm being me. That's the important thing. That's the vital thing. And we were all thrilled as he sang it. We were laying the foundation for a future in which we will rue the day that we failed to see what was going on when we were growing up in the 50s and 60s. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find a place in this world or never belong, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be the outsider. I'm willing to not conform to the customs uh, of the day. I'm, I'm not willing to follow what society says is right and, and, and wrong. No, I've got to be me. I've got to be me. What else can I be but what I am? In other words, what I feel myself to be. I need to follow my feelings, my self-conception. Whatever the world has to say, I can ignore all of that. Everything else, just ignore it. Be true to what I feel internally to be the case about myself. That's an idol. That's a false god. He goes on. I'll go it alone. That's how it must be. Go it alone? Oh, yeah, doesn't matter. Family, family norms, church norms, society norms. Oh, no, no, we can, we can ignore all those. We're just going to go it alone. This is, I say, why we are valorizing homosexuality and transgenderism, because they're willing to go against the customs. They're willing to go against the rules. They're willing to go against the traditions. They're they're, they're willing to stand alone, bravely, over against all the pressure to conform. They're not going to conform, even if God's law uh, uh, is, 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 uh, is a barrier that they face. No, I'll go it alone. That's how it must be. I can't be right for somebody else if I'm not right for me. I've got to be free. I've got to be free, regardless of all those external factors that would have me conform to being something else. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be free, which means I'm going to be me, and for me to be me, I've got to be free of all those exterior considerations. Daring to try to do it or die, I've got to be me. We didn't see where this was going to take us. We were naive. Back then, about the idol of self that we were beginning to shape. And by the way, this is, this is not a new issue. Uh, in Hamlet, um, written in 1602, a poll how do you say his name? Polinus Polonius? Polonius. Polonius says, to thine own self be what? True. I mean, there's an element to that, that that we would, we would um, agree with. Again, you don't want to be a fake. You don't want to be a phony. But to thine own self, now that the self has been internalized, now that the self has been become authoritative, now that the self uh, determines over against all other claimants, the self to which I am to be true has become an idol It has become a false god, and we need to be aware of that. And By the way, it's not a a new issue. Not only do we find it in Hamlet, but also in the older theologians writing in the 16th and 17th century. They all see it. They see it coming. They see it in their own day. What I do, I do for me. Not this radical internalized sense of self, but the service of self. Uh, the, the, the worship of self, the deification of self. They see it. They see that all of our activity, our energy, our desires are all wrapped around pleasing oneself. That's the traditional form in which that has been understood. But now today we have this additional, this other layer, this very destructive layer of this uh, that comes with this now. Not just that I want to be Um, I I want to serve and and love myself, but over and above that, that self that I want to love and serve is is what I conceive internally myself to be, apart from all external considerations. And this uh, theology of self, this idolatry of self, this religion of self is wreaking havoc in our society, particularly among, among the young. And so as a community of faith, as the disciples of Christ, we need to be very keen to what is going on around us. The elite voices in our society has bought into this hook, line, and sinker. Do you recognize that? All the major cultural voices, whole political parties, the media, the universities, the intellectuals, they all buy into this absolutely um, unprecedented uh, psychology of humanity that would have us uh, accept this dualism of the body and the soul, have them divided to such a degree that the one has nothing whatsoever to do with the other. It's a fight, it's a war against reality. And as we've said any number of times, when you war against reality, reality wins. And there will be damage all around us. And hopefully, Christians will, will, will be alert uh, to, to the direction of things and to this, uh, this idolatry of self and uh, be there to help pick up the pieces and to show people the way of redemption, to show them the way of, of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, point them to the cross, point them to cross to Christ, in which there is healing and salvation uh, to be found and 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 with that, standards by which to live, right and wrong, truth and error, um, and so and so these standards by which to live and by which to guide our decisions and our and our and our choices um, that the world so desperately needs and and is in a headlong flight currently. In abandoning all such guidelines, except as I conceive and want them uh, to be, Lord have mercy upon us. Uh, It's going to. Hey, this is (laughs) this is a real upbeat sermon, isn't it? It's going to get worse before it gets better. Just need to know Uh, until society begins to wake up and see we are on the wrong road. And we will pay a terrible price for this. The idols will consume the idolaters. This idol of self will consume us as a society until we draw back from it and and repent and flee from the false god to the true and the living god as he's made himself known in Jesus Christ as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, Uh, We pray, O Lord, that we would recognize this idol, this authoritative idol, this idol of authenticity, this unstable world uh, in which the next generation is being brought up and by which it is being consumed. And, O Lord, we pray that Uh, that we might serve you in our generation and in this context in such a way as to lead our countrymen to the true God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.